You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered. Listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Kelsey Peace. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024. Uh, Our direction has been to continue as we are moving forward, at least with the lease terminations, because we do anticipate uh, transforming the use of the building over time into some city use is the current thinking. Later in the program, the Bloomington Redevelopment Commission revisits the conversation about relocating police and fire headquarters into the city's Showers West building. Also coming up in the next half hour, we have Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production between WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. But first, your daily headlines. During the January 22nd meeting of the Bloomington Redevelopment Commission, the commissioners heard three contract proposals for renovations to the city's Showers West building. This is the next step in an initiative to relocate police and fire headquarters to City Hall. City Attorney Larry Allen walked through the resolutions before the commission and noted that some of the current tenants are not keen to move out early. These four resolutions, and and this one included, are part of your ownership of what's now called Showers West, uh, purchase of that building. As you know, there are existing tenants in that. uh, The current administration, we had discussion about that at the end of last year about whether we wanted to go ahead and approve contracts and move forward. Uh, The RDC chose to wait and postpone the consideration of contracts to its February meeting. Uh, The new administration currently is reviewing the use of that building. It does anticipate using it in some way and part of the direction of course corporation council margie rice is here so she could correct me uh, uh and say fill in any details that i miss of course uh our direction has been to continue as we are moving forward at least with the lease terminations because we do anticipate of uh, transforming the use of the building over time into some city use is the current thinking that has not been finalized yet in terms of what that le- that will look like staff is still evaluating that the mayor's office is still evaluating that so there will be more considerations But these four resolutions are essentially to, as part of the discussions, these were people that were willing to terminate their lease early to vacate some office space and free it up within the building. Um, And so we've negotiated lease terminations with these four. The first one for your consideration is with Kerr Law. Uh, This is a very fairly small office um, and we negotiated a lease termination here. Uh, it's it's actually part of what would be, at least what in the original plans, would potentially be part of the fire administration portion of the building, uh, which is mostly um, uh, office space, I believe, uh, on that side of the building. Uh, in this case, the termination is for $5,000, which is essentially covering the moving cost uh, for early termination and then just releasing of the lease. Commission member John West asked about how the transition to the new Marial administration has impacted the project. Allen responded. I've got a couple questions. It's maybe not just pertinent to this lease, but since I'm a little late to the dance here, um, give me a little, and and we've had a change of administration, so um, kind of begs the question, why don't we want to get the revenue as long as we can? Because we really don't have any kind of a timeline to reutilize the building. So 
I guess one of my questions is why why do we terminate any leases? Yeah, so I think one of the things is there's still a, a viable option potentially on the table to go forward with some renovations even fairly quickly this year. And these are these are negotiations that have been occurring over the course of months uh, with these tenants. And so to even have that still on the table, uh, we thought it prudent to move forward as we had planned with the lease terminations. Of course, you know, we did collect essentially a full year of lease payments. That was one of the interest uh, uh those prior advances to try to maximize revenue, but. Corporation counsel Margie Rice followed up on the points made by Allen, saying that some tenants are ready to move out, while at least a half a dozen others prefer to stay. The leases that are before you tonight, though, for terminations, my understanding from talking to Chris Cockrum, who's an agent that's been helping us, that these people are ready. They've made up their mind. They're ready to move on to a new facility, and they're a little reluctant to sign new leases while this is hanging out here. So these, this group uh, is ready to go. And if we weren't to approve them, I think we'd be holding them back from, from doing what they want to do. Now, there is a group still of people that are have not yet made, wrapped their heads around leaving the showers uh, west. And so we're going to continue to talk with Chris and talk with those people. And it may be that those that those groups stay longer. So that's still um, those those some of those uh, people who were told, hey, you're going to have to be out by January 31st are not packing up right now. They're not planning on leaving. And so we're going to continue to have conversations with them about what that looks like. It doesn't look as if we'll be in any, um, you know, in any shape to be moving in there at the end of the month. So I would expect that we'll we'll continue to let them stay there a little bit longer until we figure out what they want to do and what makes sense for us. Commission member Deborah Meyerson asked for more information on the status of current tenants. West also says he would appreciate more information in order for the commission to make an informed decision. Rice said that she could prepare a more comprehensive list of tenants by their February meeting. I don't recall having seen before the RDC intern to the extent that the RDC is in the role of, you know, uh, approving lease terminations and compensation, etc. I don't recall having seen a list of all the tenants, mm -hmm. what their lease terms are, what the income is in terms of revenue. I just, it was, it's really hard to kind of do it piece by piece here. Mm -hmm. um, so like, for example, we've got these four resolutions here um, for these lease terminations, but I don't know how many other tenants there are. I don't have a sense of you know, how it fits with the question of doing renovations early. And I don't need to know everything, mm -hmm. but I think even just a list yeah. of here's the tenants in the building, here's who's leaving, here's when their leases end. I just, it would be more transparent and helpful for me as opposed to looking at four individual resolutions to have a sense of the bigger picture. And I'm wondering if that's available. Yeah, we can get that for you. Sure. Um, is that something you'd like a presentation at the next meeting or would you like that information? We could send that to you and then discuss it at the next meeting. Would that make sense? Okay. 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 We just want to collect a group sure. of what we need to do in order to. Yeah. So none of these resolutions indicate when, when the lease, the natural lease termination is. So we don't really have any clue as to what, what, what kind of revenue we're, right. we're not going to collect. Yeah, you know, I, I, and I, as I'm, you know, started uh, brand new with the Thompson administration, so I haven't been part of the background. I was able to meet with Chris Cockrum, though, who it's my understanding that city hired as an agent to to do these negotiations. So 
what I think is appropriate, um, again, I've talked to him and he asked for these to be put on the agenda because these people are ready to go. And I think um, they'll be unhappy if, if we, if they're not able to sign their new leases with the new landlord um, at this point, since they have negotiated uh, these terminations. But I can ask Chris to attend the next meeting. We can get the information to you, try to give you that bigger picture um, and, and have that for you in the February meeting. The first three resolutions were approved on the condition that information on the lease agreements would be included in the meeting minutes. The final resolution was pushed back to a later date. The Bloomington Redevelopment Commission will meet again for its regular session on February 5th. At the Monroe County Public Library Board of Trustees meeting on January 17th, Director Greer Carson gave his monthly report on the state of the library, specifically a water leak at the new Southwest Branch. Okay, I'll begin with the big story we're all focused on, and that's the water leak and subsequent flooding at our new Southwest Branch Library. Uh, I first want to say that despite the obvious misfortune of having an unexpected system failure at one of our libraries and at our brand new Southwest Library, no less, I believe we were on the whole very fortunate that the crisis occurred while the building was closed, so no patrons were in the building and no staff were on site at the time. So it's worth reflecting on that as we work through the forthcoming stages of mitigation, restoration, and eventual reopening. So this past Monday, January 15th, we discovered a significant water leak coming from the ceiling tiles above the lounge area just outside the large program room. We immediately shut off the water line to the building. We believe the leak occurred between midnight and 2 a.m. Monday morning. By approximately 7.30 a.m., water had pooled in this area and had moved into the large program room, the adjoining teen space, portions of the children's space, and adult print collection area. Water also traveled through the floor and down through the parking garage ceiling tiles and onto the garage floor. MCPL staff, led by Building Services Director Brian Leibacher, moved quickly to soak up or otherwise remove all standing water. We contacted our environmental mitigation company, our HVAC service provider, our general contractor, and our insurance company, all of whom are now on site and involved in the assessment, mitigation, and rest restoration planning process. We immediately decided to close the Southwest Branch until further notice, made plans for Southwest Library staff to continue off-desk work and other duties that would keep them safely distanced from the impacted areas, and made some decisions on collections, holds, programs, and room reservation cancellations. We are currently in the middle of the full and official damage assessment process, but here's what we know so far. Due to a combination of weather-related factors, about eight train brand VAV boxes had frozen at the tube bends, and an outside air damper and damper blades had frozen at the frame in the open position. Our HVAC contractors determined this was the likely cause of the leak and manually closed and secured the damper to prevent any further potential damage. All other parts of the HVAC system and related facility systems were then checked and determined to be in good working order. Our unofficial assessment at this time is that the frozen open damper led to an excess of cold air traveling through the pipes, which then caused some of the pipes to crack and leak water onto the floor below and on down to the garage. We will have an official assessment of the cause in the coming days. In the aforementioned uh, areas and in addition to the HVAC system component failures, we sustained damage to our ceiling tiles, hard surface flooring, 
carpeted flooring, drywall and interior insulation, and some furniture and shelving. No collections were impacted by the leak, no public or staff computers or equipment were damaged, and no other physical areas of the library were impacted. Carson shared that they are trying to reopen the library as soon as possible. He shared how many patrons can receive books they have on hold and thanked staff and community members for their support and camaraderie during the closure. While the majority of water-related damage has been assessed, we are still discovering some additional infrastructural impact of the flooding. As with any disaster recovery situation, these discoveries will undoubtedly add time and work to the reopening schedule. This is the main reason we can't yet determine a hard and fast reopening date. We hope to have a clear sense for that date within the next week or two. Our priorities for moving forward are threefold. First, complete all mitigation and restoration work in order to reopen to the public as soon as possible. This currently involves our mitigation and restoration contractors and our insurance provider and will ultimately help us determine when we can reopen. It will also clarify for us exactly how and why this happened, and more importantly, what steps we need to take to ensure this does not happen again. Strasser Construction and Matthew Architects are also involved in the process. Second, maintain as many Southwest Pacific services as possible for the public while keeping our public communication updates clear and substantive. While we unfortunately need to suspend access to Southwest collections and previously scheduled programs for the time being, we hope to resume both in the coming weeks, albeit with some flexible use of program spaces not impacted by the water leak. Patrons with holds at Southwest can request to have them transferred to downtown or Ellettsville for pickup. Patrons can continue to place holds on all MCPL materials, and it's worth remembering that the majority of Southwest materials are actual duplications of items that we have either downtown or at Ellettsville. And third, keep MCPL staff safe, continuing their work plans and community engagement schedules, and working with and supporting them as they manage the stress and anxiety that situations like this inevitably produce in all of us. To their great credit, and in the face of this shocking development, Southwest staff immediately demonstrated a positive and collaborative spirit and are already developing plans to connect with patrons and community partners in creative ways during this interim closing. We will, of course, continue to share updates with you all as we move through the process. I want to quickly thank the Southwest Branch staff and our Building Services staff for rising to the occasion and working together through this crisis. And I'd like to thank all downtown and Ellettsville staff for reaching out and offering their support and assistance wherever needed. Team spirit at MCPL has seldom been stronger than it is right now, and this crisis has proven that already. I also want to thank Brian Leibacher and Kathy Riley for leading their respective teams and for working together these past few difficult days. Their leadership has made all the difference. And finally, I'd like to thank the community and our very loyal patrons. The support we have seen, uh, we've received from Monroe County residents has been overwhelming. Through social media comments, phone calls, and emails, we've been repeatedly reminded over the past three days how much our community loves its library. Board member Carrie Asari asked how patrons will receive updates on the Southwest Branch. Carson responded. First of all, kudos to all the library uh, staff and the patrons. Um, how will the uh, information be communicated out to the Southwest patrons? 
Um, primarily through our website and our social media posts, we do encourage patrons to call the library and that would come downtown um, and we have a bunch of information we can give over the phone and we do that on kind of a daily basis. But mostly the way we communicate is through our social media posts and our website. Um, I don't know that our newsletter or forthcoming newsletter will contain anything like this, but that's the primary way. He continued his report providing updates on the library's programming. Uh, collection use for 2023 was very strong, with some second and third quarter months inching closer to those pre-pandemic levels of use. Digital collection use was particularly strong last year and met or exceeded many COVID-era months. We are introducing a new Spanish-language e-library collection called The Shelf, which features thousands of films, series, podcasts, and performances for patrons looking for Spanish-language materials at MCPL. We received a grant to install a third story walk in our community thanks to the Bicycle and Pedestrian Safety Commission's local motion grant program. We'll have the location and the first set of planned books determined in the coming months, and we look forward to announcing the installation of our third story walk soon. 2023 also saw an increase of more than a 1,000 items checked out to outreach patrons compared to the previous year. We received a generous grant from the Wall Family Charitable Trust for the purchase of 25 new rollators to add to our increasingly popular Mobility Aids Lending Library, or MAL. And we submitted our 2024-2026 strategic plan to the State Library. We have high-quality color booklet editions like this available at all service points. The PDF version is now posted to our website. Beginning next month, the director's report will be structured around the new five stated goals from this plan. And we're also happy to share that the State Library plans to cite our new plan as an example for other Indiana libraries who are working on their own strategic plans. Happy to answer any other questions about the director's report. The next Monroe County Public Library Board of Trustees meeting will be held on February 21st. The Bloomington Board of Public Works met on January 16th. First, Neighborhood Compliance Officer Rob Council asked the board to approve an abatement of a property on North Clark Street. Council shared that the owner of the property is willing to have the city assist with cleaning up the yard. We have crossed this bridge with this property owner before on his home property. This is a second property. It's just up the street, um, another big pile of newspaper sticks and other garbage. Um, I've spoken to the homeowner. He understands it's coming, and he just said, come clean it up. So that's where we're at. Board member Elizabeth Karen followed up with questions on the number of NOVs or notice of violations the property owner had been given before they were fined. Council explained the history of warnings and fines for the property. Why the gap in NOVs between March and September instead of following up, and I'll just ask my second one at the same time, the March NOV has a fine? Yes. Instead of a warning for the first ostensibly NOV? Sure. Um, as far as the gap goes, he had made progress on that property, so I kind of laid off and then started directing my attention towards his home, which is the one that we addressed at the last abatement session. Um, he had made some progress at this Clark Street property, but when we started to abate his home property at 8th Street, he moved a bunch of garbage up there under Clark, thus starting my enforcement actions on that property again. Okay, so was the March NOV built upon previous NOVs that would have started with a warning and a $50? That's correct. Gotcha. 
Director of Public Works Adam Wayson asked for clarification on whether or not a repeating violation would receive a warning before being fined. Council said that they would not receive a warning on a repeated violation. Karen asked why there was a red void stamp on one of the notices. Council responded and noted that the property owner is always on time paying the fines. Maybe it could be possibly that he paid it twice. Um, this t this guy is always on time paying his stuff. Like he's got no no issues as far as so that. So he's comes. aware of the issues. He's working 100%. with you, and he's 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 just continually paying the fines. He's a very unique character. Okay. The next Bloomington Board of Public Works meeting will be held on January thirtieth. Up next, we have Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production between WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We turn now to that segment on the WFHB Local News. Welcome to Lil Bub's Lil Show, a weekly co-production from WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We highlight adoptable animals with special needs in South Central Indiana and spotlight topics to promote human animal welfare. First, here is today's featured animal. Today's featured pet comes to us from our local Bloomington, Indiana shelter. Meet Farley, an eight-year-old shepherd mix, and hear what his amazing foster family has to say about this handsome guy. Farley's foster family tells shelter staff that he proudly prances around with his bone in his mouth like he's won first prize. This makes them laugh a lot. Farley hasn't met a person he doesn't love. He is very gentle with everyone. He has not been introduced to any other dogs or cats while with his foster family, as he doesn't do well with other dogs. He does enjoy chasing squirrels and chipmunks. Farley is totally house trained. He gives a gentle nudge with his nose and goes towards the door. He's an older gentleman, so sometimes he wakes up a little earlier than his foster family on the weekend and asks to go outside, but that's because he's used to that routine during the week. Farley's best trick is charming everyone he meets. Neighbors love him and come outside to greet him when they see him walk by. When Farley finds his forever home, his family notes they will miss Farley's gentle, kind disposition. He has so much love to give and his greatest desire is to just be with you. So what should a future adopter know about Farley? Farley is the best walker. He loves to go for walks down the lane and you don't even notice that he is on a leash because he stays right next to you with total slack on the leash. He has bursts of energy but then is content to relax and enjoy the moment. He loves to be outside and explore things. He loves a cozy dog bed. If you'd like to meet Farley or apply to adopt him, please call the Bloomington Shelter at 812-349-3492. If you're interested in adopting today's featured pet, you can learn more at our websites, goodjobbub.org and wfhb.org. You're listening to Lil Bub's Lil Show, 
a co-production of WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We now turn to this week's featured topic. With the holidays right around the corner, it's often a time families are considering bringing a new pet home. There's so much to consider before adopting a pet, so we'll be talking about this next week too. Today's featured topic on Lil Bub's Lil Show is how to prepare for a new dog. Caring for a companion animal goes far beyond providing food, water, and shelter. It takes research and careful planning to bring the right pet into your home and to make sure your lifestyle is the right one for your pet. The first question to ask yourself is, are you ready to adopt? When adopting a pet, you are making a commitment to care for an animal for the rest of their life. That could mean 10 to 15 years for dogs and up to 20 years for cats. As you go through lifestyle changes, such as moves, the birth of children, and new jobs, your animal will remain a permanent part of your life. If circumstances change, will you still be able to care for your pet? And if not, do you have a plan for your animal to be cared for? Another point to consider is the cost of caring for a pet. Owning a dog costs more than the initial adoption fee. Food, veterinary care, spaying or neutering and proper identification, that means a collar with tags and a more permanent form of ID such as microchipping can add up. Make sure you have resources set aside to care for your pet as needed and look for a nonprofit veterinary clinic in your community. We are lucky to have the Monroe Humane Association serving South Central Indiana and offering low-cost veterinary services. Time is also a factor. Dogs benefit from several hours of exercise and companionship every day. If your work demands that you travel often, or if you're out of the house most days and evenings, this may not be the right time to adopt. It's important to consider whether your children along with any other pets you may already have, are able to accommodate the addition of a new dog to your household. And now the biggest question, which pet is right for you? Your personality and lifestyle, along with challenges such as space restrictions and amount of time spent at home, should be explored to determine what dog is right for your household. Research different breeds and ask shelter staff for guidance. They're experts at making perfect matches. Dogs are loyal and loving. They are social animals who thrive on being upstanding members of their families. Here are some important things to remember when considering the best dog for you. If there are young children in your home, a puppy may not be your best bet. You may want to consider adopting a medium-sized dog over five months of age. It is a good idea to drop a schedule of who in the family will help with the care of your new dog, including walking, playing, feeding, and grooming. Don't forget to have your new pet spayed or neutered. Socialization is the key to a happy and confident dog. All puppies should be enrolled in a puppy class where part of the time is devoted to monitored play with other dogs. Basic manners classes can also help adult dogs brush up on their skills or learn new ones. Shelters are often filled with pit bull type dogs. There are many misconceptions about these dogs who can make amazing companions and loyal family pets. 
Before you adopt, be sure to call your local city hall or animal shelter to find out about any local breed laws. You may experience breed discrimination in some places. Legislation may prohibit you from living in certain communities, and homeowners insurance may be harder to find. However, that shouldn't deter you from adopting a pit bull type dog. Just make sure you know your rights and limitations before you adopt. Once you've made the decision about which dog is right for you, it's time to prepare your space. Whether it's tightly sealing your garbage cans or paying attention to dangerous decorations during the holidays, you'll need to make your home safe before adopting. This includes keeping toxic foods, pet unfriendly plants, and dangerous household items out of paws reach. Remember, Bub thinks you should always adopt, not shop, for a new pet. Visit your local shelter or rescue and find your new best friend today. Thank you for tuning in to Lil Bub's Lil Show on WFHB. Produced in partnership with Lil Bub's Big Fund. For more info on today's featured animal and topic, find us online at goodjobbub.org and wfhb.org. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com.